Okay, let's do it as the intro then. We're like, we'll, oh, like that'll be the intro before the theme song. Then we come out of theme, we go into max. Okay. Because I want to be done in like eight minutes. I know, I know, but we have to cover it. You know, we have to cover it. I don't know. I also feel I'm like, eh, it's been talked to death everywhere else. Yeah, but I watched the whole damn show. I've got to talk about this for some reason. Please make it so that I haven't wasted my life. Welcome back to another episode of Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. My name is Harley Arpaggia. My name is M. Fear, and today I'm forcing Harley to talk for about five minutes about AEW Double or Nothing. It's a full-up show. We got a long show for you this week on the podcast following a five-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view. <laughs> yes, but I watched every minute of that five-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view, so I'm making Harley at least talk about a couple of the highlights or lowlights of what happened with the women's action on Double or Nothing. All right, Jade Cargirl versus Anna Jade. This did not need to be on the pay-per-view because Anna Jade has no credibility. They're pure enhancement talent. <laughs> the match existed solely to get Jade on the pay-per-view, give Jade a win, so we get all of this post-match set up. Stokely Hathaway has arrived. Mark Sterling is out. Big Stoke is in. And also arrived the former Ember Moon, Athena. Okay, so my quick thought on this, I love that Athena has debuted, and I'm, I'm super excited that they have already announced that she is all elite, so we are hoping to see her on a more regular basis around there, but given the state of the women's division, who knows? My only problem is Athena debuting eclipsed Chris Statlander's appearance at the end of this match, meaning the challenge that I thought was coming of Chris challenging for the TNT title against Jade Cargill did not happen. Um, they made it more about Red Velvet and then shifted focus entirely to Stokely and Athena. So uh, all of this to say, this is a pretty crowded house and there's not enough time that dedicated to the women's division to keep that house sorted. So I guess we're going to have to ignore Chris Statlander for a little while again, which sucks because she had some momentum there. Seems like we're going to get a trios feud on Rampage probably for the next couple of weeks. I mean, if Athena gets booked the way that Ruby Soho did and Tony Storm did, she'll get, <laughs> she'll get built up to a big match against Jade. She'll lose, and then she'll disappear off TV for two months. Maybe when Athena disappears for the two months, Chris Statlander steps up then and still is ends up being the one to take the title. Hey, uh, remember Marita Shafir? I really hope the best for Athena here because I, I was psyched to see her. Uh, I just, you know, any new face, in the, especially the women's division at AEW, as the question of where are they going to go? Because the timing just doesn't, just doesn't work out. Tony and Ruby are great examples. We've also got Mercedes floating around. We've got Burita hanging around in limbo. There's all these women who like have such massive talent who are just sitting on the sidelines waiting for like the one match that they're allowed to wrestle per quarter. I'm just excited to see Jade in an actual long form feud. Cause I don't believe we've had one. I'm not counting Marina. That was like three weeks and Marina came out of nowhere, you know? Like, give me a proper actual feud, especially with Big Stoke involved now, right? Let's hear those promos. Let's get some character work. Let's get some some layers to this thing. Sure, and if we can get some solidified trios, not just Jade's trio, but other trios amongst the women's division, that would be really helpful too. So uh, I think they, they could make some steps in the right direction use, utilizing these new faces and utilizing the women that have already been there. They just need to do it, and I don't... They don't always follow through on the promise. Okay, so speaking of following through, uh, for months and months and months, we've been asking, slash not really asking, uh, what's going on with Julia Hart? Uh, what happened to the booty teenager who's wearing an eye patch? And it turns out she turned goth. Julia Hart, on the same show that her aunt Martha Hart appeared, 
turned right they're related right it, it their hearts they they've got to be, be their cousins so that's not that common a name <laughs> uh well i hope her auntie was not upset by her uh misting the good guys so to speak because uh julia's turned bad bad girl yes julia has entered her goth phase i'm gonna guess she's about 17 now she looked like she was about 14 when she debuted as the cheerleader for uh, brian pillman jr so now we've got goth Julia Hart, which in typical mainstream fashion means that she's wearing black. And she got pigtails. That's about it. She's wearing black. And she got pigtails. I mentioned this on Twitter last night, but like, why is it in mainstream, like major company pro wrestling, if you go goth or like weird, they put your hair in pigtails. Is it just because of Harley Quinn? Like just because of Harley Quinn? Probably. I mean, pig, <laughs> pigs in general, kind of goth. I mean, okay, but like... Those limp, like, blonde pigtails are not going to work. So you need to dye her hair or, like, get some, like, big extensions. And, like, you need to, like, let's go let's go full force with it. I get it. She's a baby goth. It's it's a work in progress. Cut it short, dye it black, and amp up that mascara. That's right. She needs to gain 20 pounds, too. Now, do we have any... I don't care about this at all, though. If, if we're being completely honest, and why not? It's our show. I expect Julia will just be the background character in the men's group promos now in the same way that the bunny is in the same yep. way that penelope ford is yep right like she's just yep. she's just gonna yep. be the hanger on for the men's stories and occasionally when they need someone to fill a match uh spot she will get slotted in or there. do a screwy finish as we saw here sure absolutely but good on them for doing anything because i was starting to get really antsy with this whole oh she looks mopey with an eye patch and the bar <clears> for <throat> AEW is so low that any woman other than Britt Baker getting TV time is, I guess, a plus. Hey, speaking of Britt Baker, uh, she won the Women's uh, Owen Cup Heart. Owen Hart Cup. Sorry. Good, yeah. Good for her. She she. She, she really needs she, more she needed, attention. She needed a bit of a push, I think. She was feeling a little directionless. Um, this will be the difference maker for sure to get her up to that superstar status. Um, Tony Khan really loves a couple, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Is he... I don't know. He's... Hmm. He just, yeah, he's like playing with his Barbie and Ken dolls, except they're real, they're real people. Yeah. Um. This was the moment to give Ruby something credible to do. It was, it was the a great moment. And honestly, <clears throat> going into this match with Rancid playing all of Ruby Soho to like for her entrance, playing live, I thought this was it. I thought, okay, this is the this is the limelight. This is the spotlight that she needs. This is what she deserves. They're gonna do that. They're gonna you know pull the trigger on this. And I was wrong again because I should never underestimate the fact that they don't know how to book anyone in the women's division aside from Britt Baker. And for me, it's still it's again this thing of like, if this is if this is a if the, if Tony Khan and Britt are aware enough that they're doing this purposely to get heat, then it's working because people are not happy about the finish. People were upset. But it doesn't feel like it's a conscious effort to really make her hated. Because then after the match, she goes up on stage and she hugs Tony Schiavone again, everybody's favorite uncle. And she stands there smiling all nice and sweet next to Dr. Martha Hart during this heartfelt yeah, no, promo. At the end of this match, she gave her hand to right, Ruby yeah, Soho. Right, yeah, she helped Ruby. Right. Like, no, this isn't intentional. This is this. This is dumb. And I get I, people pointed out that that whole, like, you know, reverse victory role for the pin the finish that I thought was bullshit. Um, people put it out that it was a reference to WrestleMania 10 and like, okay, great. 
But just because it's a clever reference doesn't mean it's a good one. Like doesn't mean that this is a good booking decision. It's not. It's not a good booking decision. This was a bad decision. This like puts you back in the cul-de-sac of nowhere. And again, we'll come back to the question of like, well, now what for Brit? Do we, you don't go back to her and Rosa already. You don't want to like, do that. You're not doing Brit versus Jade. So, so now what? So now what? I and guess you continue I, the Brit Tony Storm feud as a an upper story tier storyline without a title involved. As long as as long as she please does not like defend the, the cup or defend that title belt that she got after the match. I it just it doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. It, like, it, it just circles the drain. We're just circling over and over again. We've got two people in this division, basically. How long until we see Ruby Soho win a match on Dynamite or Rampage again? It's currently May 31st. Uh, I want to say three months. Okay, I'll, I'll be more generous. I'll say late July. Okay. Okay. All right. But All I don't right. expect to see action. her very much between now and then. I'll take that action. Uh, something I would like to not see uh, very much again for the foreseeable future is any more of this uh, American top team uh, versus Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti ridiculousness. I need this to be done. I really need this to be done. This is done. Is this done? Can this be done, please? Ty and Sammy have really gone full Cody Brandy. Like even the finish to this six person tag with Sammy accidentally kicking Ty in, or uh, yeah, kicking Ty in the face. I was like, ooh, that's a Cody Brandy spot right there. That's a Cody Brandy spot. The only spot. thing we were missing was a guy in a bear's costume. And you know what? If they wanna if they wanna do this for like a variety of people, okay, great, fine, continue. But I'm done with this particular story. Like I, nobody in this made any sense. By the time we got to this match, that a match I should have been excited for because it was intergender work on AEW. Oh my god, did someone put Tony in a thunder shirt because there was a lot of men and women touching in this. Um I had no idea who any of these competitors were supposed to be, what they were supposed to represent, what their aims were, who they are. Are they heels? Are they faces? Are they both heels? Are they like nobody like this story involves so many turns. It didn't make any sense anymore. But even the even the mixed gender work we got was the WWE style of mixed gender work. Same thing we've seen with Ronda Rousey, where the women are allowed to beat up the man and throw him around as long as he doesn't do anything in return. Yeah, I think it one point there was an intentional hit and it was like i forget who it was some one of the men hit one of the women and it was like oh my god but it wasn't even that much i don't know when you watch a lot of intergender work mixed gendered work uh in general like watching something like this it just feels so silly it's like such like it's like watching yeah it's like watching it with the training wheels on like what what's even the point and I don't follow MMA. I don't know who Paige Van Zant is. I don't care. I want to see good wrestlers on my show. She's not a good wrestler yet. Maybe she will be eventually, but... This, to me, was a classic, why is this on the pay-per-view? Because I guess it's a title. There's a title involved, but it's not. There's not a title involved in this match. It's just a, th- it's just a three-way grudge match. This was a long pay-per-view, and this did not need to be here. Hey, but... One, one match last- delivered. One match delivered everything I wanted and more. Thunder Rosa defeating Serena Deeb to retain the AEW Women's Championship. Uh, not to, to completely sideline us on the aesthetics, but I just need to say Thunder Rosa looked magnificent. That is how a champion should enter for a match like this. Uh, she looked incredible. She had a great uh, entrance garb, and then her gear for the match was just uh, a work of art. Um, she looked incredible. 
And this match, I wasn't even that particularly excited about this match, but it delivered. I, it woke me up. It was great. 17 minutes, a lot of back and forth, a lot of really nice mat work. I remember watching this match and thinking like, yes, look, a noticeable difference between these two and a lot of the other women that we've seen wrestle here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't do a whole lot of build with this story, but what they were able to do with Serena Deeb, like in her, like build as a character in AEW in general worked well enough to establish this as a, as a, as a match to watch. I'm looking forward to having a better feud for Thunder Rosa as far as one that is a little bit more directed towards Thunder because Serena Deeb's feud with Thunder Rosa didn't feel like it was about Thunder Rosa or even about the title so much. It's just like, against all the bullshit that Serena Deep has had to deal with in the past. And I, I appreciate that. I don't mind a, a story that is based on that, but I, I hope that the next women's title feud is more like connected to the character of Thunder Rosa versus whoever she's up against. But who could that possibly be? You, Britt Baker. <laughs> you want Rosa to go up against a strong heel now because she's still in her infancy of her championship reign. You want her to really be established as a popular, fiery baby face that we want to rally behind. You don't want to put her up against Ruby. You don't want to put her up against Chris Statlander or Tony Storm or Athena. You don't want to put her up against weak heels like Penelope Ford. Even now the Rose feels like a scrub now. She's not on TV enough. And when she is on TV, it's usually just like she makes a random appearance every couple of months and then loses. I don't know who there is for Rosa to go up against. Maybe Jamie Hayter, but she needs a lot more establishing. You just took the words out of my mouth. I think Jamie Hayter would be a really excellent choice um, because they have played with tension between Jamie and Britt for the longest time. And they've never really done much with it aside from just having it there, like simmering in the background totally fine i actually appreciate that they haven't like pushed it beyond just this like understanding that there is this underlying tension with them this would be a great way to bring that to fruition so i don't know how it happens but i would not mind it and i think that that is jamie is maybe the best person to put in this role next will they do that no idea no idea Next AEW pay-per-view is the Forbidden Door with New Japan. Will we see any women's matches on that card? Stardom is supposed to have a presence. I believe that is what I've read. I believe that there will be Stardom talent on the card, possibly Stardom and or TJPW. So there should be women involved. Okay, so we might might get Rosa booked in uh, a defense with not, not much build, but just like a kind of quote-unquote dream match defense against somebody random. Yeah, and that you know what I'll, I'll take that for yeah, a show a, like once in a while uh, for a match for a show like this. I'm okay with that. You just don't want that Forbid- to happen every time. Forbidden Door is about wish fulfillment. It's about uh, you know match best match 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 wish list fulfillment. It's not necessarily about like this is an ongoing story that we're gonna follow week to week. <laughs>
coming Sunday, June 5th, is the birthday of arguably Grit and Glitter's number one fan, Alex E. from up here in the great country of Canada. Alex has been a big supporter of the show since day one, one of our biggest supporters financially through Patreon. And because they support us at the $10 tier, one of those $10 Patreon perks is every year on your birthday, you get to request a segment of your choice for us to do. You get to tell us what to do. Last year, for Alex's birthday, we did uh, what ended up becoming one of our most popular episodes of the year last year, our Transverse Timeline. Yeah, yeah. Alex has some really great ideas, and this year is no exception. In honor of Alex's birthday, they have requested that we do a spotlight on the intimidating, the ferocious of the wasteland, Max the Impaler. Yes, a whole spotlight on everyone's favorite non-binary nightmare, Max the Impaler. And we tried. We, we all preface this by saying it's very tricky to do a spotlight on somebody who doesn't do interviews. Max doesn't. Max. Max isn't the most loquacious of wrestlers. They have. They have a Twitter. They have. They tweet, but they don't really talk much. Yeah, and like unlike other wrestlers that we have previously covered, you know, like in our like legendary um, series where we are working on where we cover wrestlers who have lengthy careers, Max is still very much in the early days of their career, which is great because considering that they're three years, three plus years in. They've accomplished quite a bit and made quite a name for themselves on the independent circuit and in like the major promotions. So this is no knock on Max, but like there's a limited amount of coverage there. So as a result, like between the lack of interviews and, you know, the gimmick that kind of lends itself to being, you know, opaque as far as background, et cetera, and also, you know, the, the briefness of their career, there's not a ton to go into, but that doesn't mean that it's not a fascinating subject because Max has had a really cool career from the get-go, honestly. Yeah, and I, I'm well acquainted with Max. I've seen them wrestle a lot of times. I can picture them in my head. I know what they look like. But the, the specific details, when did they debut? Where did they get started? What? Where are they from? That stuff, I don't know. So I'm happy to learn about that here, too. Cool. Yeah, and I was happy to look into this. So we'll start from the very beginning which is a very good place to start. Um, Max is from Dayton, Ohio, and trained at Ohio Pro Wrestling Alliance. I was curious about this because I was familiar with Max prior to the Impaler moniker when they were still performing under just Max, um, and before they had come out professionally and publicly as non-binary. I was interested in Max because I knew that they worked in this region. And um, having been from Ohio, like a lot of our talent that comes in and out of here, um, they have made appearances at a couple promotions that I you know, frequently followed, especially Rise Wrestling, who um, they were doing a series like every other month, I think, maybe even once a month for a while, called Uprise, which was featuring like, really upstart talent. So they had their regular roster and then Uprise was a great place to be featured that featured people who were like just fresh out of training or were still like their like years of training um, in their first year of wrestling. And Max had made, I think at least if not more than one um, appearance there, in, especially uh, for our Ziggy Hyam fans, there is a match you can watch on YouTube where uh, a very early Max wrestles a, I think pre Ziggy Ziggy. So that's a fun uh, time capsule. But back to December 2018, 
way back to December 2018, Max made their official in-ring debut, wrestling under just Max, versus Trixie Tash for Atomic Championship Wrestling, Rogue Women's Warriors. So this is kind of like their women's wrestling offshoot. And of course, as is the tradition, you come in on your back. Um, even without the Impaler qualifier, Max's aesthetic gimmick was pretty was pretty early on established. Uh, when you see Max in those like early year, like probably 2018 through 2019, even into early 2020, you're not seeing a ton of the of the makeup, but the general aesthetic is the same. So you've got that like Road Warrior inspiration, the styling and gear directly referencing the post apocalyptic the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic look of those films. That's a hard word to say. So as Max's gimmick has developed, you've seen the, added, the addition of like the contact lenses and um, more severe makeup on the face, more distressing in the hair and the, and the clothing. But even those early days is like pretty much that aesthetic, just a little cleaner, a lot less makeup. You could see them a lot clearer. Uh, the hair was more pulled back than it is now where it is like more wild and dreaded and, and styled as, uh, as is the road warrior inspiration. Um, but right away, their size and strength has been a selling point since the professional debut. Uh, so it's like an easy distinguishing mark among independent wrestling's women's rosters, specifically simply by size alone. So, you know, you look at like your average promotion, independent promotion and the women they call from. Most of these women are not of, a, you know, substantial size. So Max coming in as a powerhouse right away offered something to independent promotions that they often didn't get to see. And as a result, not only lent itself to lending a power to the women's division, but also a lot of intergender work as well. I've n- I've never seen any of the Mad Max movies. Have you? Yeah. You've never seen any of the Mad Max movies, Harley? I've never seen any of them, but they seem to be this very influential text in professional wrestling. We've already covered on other podcasts how there were two women named Mad Maxine back in the day. Now we've got a Max the Impaler, clearly all inspired and indebted to Mad Max. What is it about those movies that becomes such a beacon for these wrestlers? Well, if I had to guess, I mean, one of the things is that it's simply like, it's a cultural touchstone and it's a very easy visual recognition as far as what that aesthetic looks like. So you're not like really searching your brain. It looks every bit what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like somebody who is like, you know, surviving the worst of circumstances in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's supposed to be somebody who's like tough and hardened by the collapse of civilization. Um, And I think that it's a fun place for a lot of wrestlers to play in because it allows you to look tough, to dress tough, to not have to be like, Convent, like a perform or act conventionally. So like in Max's case, they're really taking it to the extreme, right? Like when you have someone like Mad Maxine or you have people who like they wear that aesthetic, but they still act like people. Max is more acting like somebody who is like a post-apocalyptic monster. They are like acting like they are like of the mutations of the earth. And I think that that's really cool. It gives you a lot of creative freedom and yeah, I just think it's also like visually easy to understand from an audience perspective. Pro wrestling is at its best when it can be understood in both like its most basic and its like most, you know, high end forms. You want it to be for everybody, but like essentially pro wrestling should be recognizable and easy enough to like, you know, visually cue the audience. A kid sitting in that audience watching somebody who's 
looking like Max and wrestling like Max and acting like Max is going to immediately understand what that's about. And I think that that's, you know, that's a, we we can talk a lot about like the perfections of wrestling and the in the nuances of storytelling and technical prowess and everything. But like, honestly, you know, big, scary person, throw other person through a wall like who's not going to enjoy that? It's essentially it's playing to a really like fundamental interest when it comes to pro wrestling. So that's one of my theories. So Max gets their start at ACW, but it's really IWA Mid-South where their career starts to find a footing. Yeah, and pretty much right away, because Max Inhaler debuts for IWA Mid-South um, in January, the very beginning of January 2019, and immediately gets the title from, well, okay, the Mid-South women's title from Lucas Jacobs. Right, from a, the Max captures the... IWA Mid-South Women's Championship from a man. Right, and this is a title that has been held by Daisy Hayes and Shotzi Blackheart and Chuck Taylor. So it's a gender-neutral title, despite the fact that it's called the Women's Championship? Yes. (laughs) I think, okay... So I think for the vast majority of this title's run, it has been women or non-cis men who have held it. However, there are two cases in which there have been cis men who have held this title, I assume. I I, I know one, but I'm not, I I guess I can't completely assume about Lucas Jacobs, but let's let's make the assumption. There have been two. um, Chuck Taylor held it for 14 days in 2007. And then uh, after a really long streak where there was no women's title, it was brought back in 2018. And during that time, in, for over 12 days, Lucas Jacobs held the title, having won it from Amazing Maria and only held it for 12 days. So, yes, the title has an interesting history into itself because it only existed for a couple of years and then didn't exist for a for over 10 years. And then within the first year of it being returned, it was somehow ended up in the hands briefly of a man who held it for a week and a half before getting demolished by Max before. But yes. Uh, so you can see this match. It's on IWTV. It's IWA mid South Russell kingdom, January 3rd, 2019. Um, it is a squash. <laughs> I mean, not like a complete, like one and done slam squash, but it's a squash. Like Lucas Jacobs has no has has no prayer in this. And like you said, this is this is Max about a month into their career. If that, they've only been resting a month. So fully formed from the beginning. It's it's Max looking like Max with the jacket and the gear and everything. And it's Max coming in and just tossing people around, or just chucking people. In this in this case, uh, a man who's considerably smaller, I'd say as well. Yeah, there's no doubt coming into this that like the the commentary the commentary isn't particularly wonderful. IWA Mid South is a unique promotion in that there's a lot of great uh, women featured in this promotion, but the commentary remains uh, colorful. We'll put it to a degree, but um, the commentary makes a point of like establishing right away that like this is a this is a force to be reckoned with. Like, where did this person come from? Where like. Lucas Jacobs has never encountered like a, a, a opponent like this. And uh, as a result, 
uh, Lucas Jacobs seems very much caught off guard by the power and the force of Maxie Impaler and is pretty quickly uh, done away with. Max would hold this title twice. This would be their first time holding it. They would hold it for eh, like you know, 40 some days and then get it again uh, later on in 2019. I'm not super sure how long they held it then. It's not clear. So Max's look and character and everything is a real testament to the strength of a strong gimmick, especially on the indies. Because, I mean, they're a big person to begin with. They're big, they're tall, they're muscly. If they came in with just basic gear, they'd probably still get treated well. But when you come in being big, empowering, and scary looking, and really marketable, that can carry you a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I mentioned earlier, Max was at home with any division. So Max could easily slot into a women's division, but also easily wrestle the vast majority of men on the roster without anyone raising an eyebrow. You know, there's always the arguments with intergender wrestling that it's like, oh, well, you know, the male is so much bigger, et cetera. But like, you can't really say that with most of the guys that Max was going up against. So, you know, in IWA Mid-South, they were forced to come out of the division and they were women's champ of the promotion, but also they were in various matches against male opponents, Shane Mercer, Brandon Taggart, Mo Atlas, Graham Bell, like a, a ton of others. So um, intergender matches are a major portion of Max's match list overall in their career, but in IWA Mid-South, absolutely. Like you said, they held the IWA Women's Championship twice. I want to say at this point in time, they were using she, her pronouns, and they didn't transition to they, them until later. Yes, I believe through 2019, we were still, uh, Max was still being billed as she, her. I'm not exactly sure when that changed. I think it was sometime in 2020 when they came out as, as non-binary and switched to the non-binary nightmare moniker. But in 2019, you're still going to hear her. On, on commentary and otherwise, you'll you'll hear the tagline. Her name is Max. That was her. That was Max's original tagline. So from their debut in IWA Mid South, Max's 2019 featured appearances in H2O, ACW, Rise Wrestling, OVW, and then in early 2020, the Wasteland Warriors were formed consisting of Maxine Paler, Leon Scott, and later Heidi Howitzer. And this is exactly what it sounds like. This just three wrestlers who embody that road warrior aesthetic who look right at home working together. And how great was it that like they were all out there and they could work together. I just think that's fantastic. Are the Wasteland Warriors still together? Do they still team regularly today? Yeah, they're still active. It's been a couple of months, but I, I still see Max post things on Twitter and, and uh, Heidi and Leon both post like pictures of the Wasteland Warriors. So like, I, I have every reason to believe that they are still active when the opportunity strikes. But one of their first big sort of um, moments together as a tag team was for Fest Wrestling, February 2020, when they competed in the Love Cup. Yep, Love Cup 2020. They made it to the semifinal round against the Metro Brothers, a match you can see, Fest Wrestling, Love Cup 2020. Semifinals on the Independent Wrestling Channel. Um yeah, this match is pretty quick, pretty quick and dirty. Metro Brothers get the jump on them early. Um, I like I featured this one primarily because this was the first 
match I could find that this was the first team up of Max and Leon. And they obviously aesthetically go together right away, but they also have complimentary match styles, but the, they just for whatever reason can't get a, can't get the jump on the Metro brothers who very early on attack Max specifically. Uh, They get their arm entangled in a, in a folding chair and do a spot there. And they pretty much continue to work that throughout this quick, but effective match. Best wrestling shares a lot of DNA with enjoy wrestling. Obviously there's, you know, Purcell in the background that also do enjoy. So a lot of the people that have popped up over the years in fast do a time and enjoy as well. So you've got Effie Young, you've got Effie and Max, the inhaler is, is one of them as well. So that's the start of 2020. As um, some of us will remember, 2020 kind of a mess. Uh, global pandemic put a, a wrench in a lot of plans. But but the they were still out there. Max was still managing to get a fair number of bookings in 2020, considering. So it's easy to forget that there were two and a half months before everything was shut down. And so for a lot of wrestlers, that meant a fair amount of work prior to everything coming to a grinding halt. Max is no exception. Considering that most shows were canceled by mid-March 2020, Max had at least 15 matches officially listed for 2020 on Cage Match prior to everything being shut down. And in 2020, Max would continue to grow their presence among prominent indies like Fest and Chikara. And the Chikara one I took note of because Max uh, went into the semifinal round of the Young Lions Cup of that year. And this match, the first round elimination match, was a four-way elimination match between Boomer Hatfield, Jack Ball, Masha Slamovich, and Maxie Inhaler. I include this one on our list primarily because I'm always interested in the Young Lions Cup being kind of like the, the temperature taker for who are the up-and-comers in indie wrestling. Um, this was kind of Chikara's, one of the key aspects of Chikara's. A lot of people that you follow actively on the indies now and elsewhere got their start in Chikara and the Young Lions Cup was often the first time the you know a wider audience would see them. And uh yeah, so this four way match is a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed the contrasting styles in this one. Everybody brings something a little different. And I hadn't seen Max and Masha share a ring before, so it was exciting to see them um up against each other in this match. What did you think of this one? Yeah, this was a fun one seeing I mean they all it's only two years ago, which is a testament to how much People can change, and how much uh, perhaps the pandemic changed people. But Masha looks young and uh, a little thin. Um, of course, Weber Hatfield is still in full-on boomer mode at this point, and Max is still Max is starting to look a little bit more like the Maxine Paler of 2022, I think. Yes, Max definitely, um, definitely, <laughs> for lack of a better term, they have beefed up, like in 2020 and into 2021, et cetera, like they have definitely gotten like bigger, musclier, broader. Um, they seem to, they were always, you know, a bigger for the divisions that they were compete that they've been competing in, but um, definitely has, have added mass. And you can see that even early on in this match. So it's an elimination match. Masha eliminates Jack Ball and then Max pretty quickly thereafter pins Boomer, pins Masha Max advances to advance to the semifinals of the 16th Young Lions Cup. And uh, they would be defeated in the semifinal by Ricky South. But South went on to win the entire tournament, so yeah. that's not that's not too, sh- uh, too shabby. No, that's always a good, that's actually always a really good sign. 
that if like the person who beat you in the in the tournament goes on to win it, like you end up looking kind of like your star doesn't really seem d- diminished because of it. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like in 2020, Max had matches against Lee Moriarty. Match Max had matches against uh, Queen Aminata, Madison Rain, like a ton of really like you know big names on the independent circuit. And it's no wonder that coming into 2021, like Max's name was getting out there and fast. Um, 2021 is really the breakout year for Max the Impaler, and for obvious reasons, which we'll mention, we'll talk about in a minute, but they would make it to the semifinal round of the new South Haas tournament. So like, uh, like uh, a non-cis male Haas in this tournament is something new. Um, featured in high profile, well-regarded matches for Paradigm Pro Wrestling, ICW, Beyond Wrestling, Enjoy, and more. And then, of course, as we have talked about on this podcast before, late spring 2021, ROH announced the return of its women's division, and among the featured players in this uh, summer women's championship tournament to establish a brand new, like, women's belt and title was Max the Impaler. So, yeah, they had been out of action for about eight months during the pandemic. Like, between spring of 2020 and November of 2020, they were on the sidelines, just like a lot of us, watching the world go by. And then they come back at the start of 2021, and they're tearing up the states. They're doing all these different things, and then ROH comes calling and brings them in. And that, at the time, that was really interesting. A because they were officially identifying as non-binary at that point. So them being part of the women's division, and I believe the first appearance, the first match they did for them, the commentators did use she/her, which some of us were a little put off by. But by the time they made their second appearance back. They were fully on board, the they, them train. And, I mean, you're putting Max in the ring against people like Roxy and Lainey Luck. And, God, they look even more like a beast than usual. Yeah. I I, I just, I think it, you know, we've, we've talked to Maria on this podcast twice now. And um, I really want to give some credit here to Maria Canellis and the people who, who believed in Max's talent to like, you know, bring them aboard for this revitalized women's division. I think it was such a smart move to bring in someone with Max's talent, but also with their specific strengths and specific gimmicks. You know, you have a lot of women's rosters out there who don't have this, you know, this added plus, this like powerhouse, this strength to like, and this strength of gimmick and aesthetic that is going to be an immediate pool. Audiences respond to this wrestling audiences respond to this, especially even like young wrestling audience members. I saw a great tweet about Max's time in pro wrestling Eve recently, where like, well, it was a quote of a audience member talking to a little girl, the, their child. And like the child was talking about how scary Max was and what a monster Max was. And the father says, Oh, are you okay? Do you want to leave? And the kid is like, no, because I think there's always going to be a big attachment from young wrestling audiences to to wrestlers who have distinct and recognizable aesthetics and 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 talents. And Max is absolutely that. So I really I know I just love the fact that when they brought back the women's division, when Maria like really spearheaded this movement to like bring some, you know, restore the women's division at Ring of Honor, Max was a part of that story and that they were able to do so as themselves. They were able to do that so as a non-binary competitor. And they were undefeated in ROH too. They lost one they lost one match by disqualification. But as far as I remember, their entire tenure in ROH up until 
the company shutting down in December, they were never pinned, never submitted, never, never counted out. They lost that one match in the tournament to Angelina Love, and that was because they wouldn't listen to the referee's rope break or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the it it was the most Angelina Love slash allure way to to win a match for a tournament like this. But yeah, otherwise they are undefeated as a competitor as both tag team and singles. I I mean, we don't really have to count the like the mixed tag match from Final Battle, but they didn't eat the pin there either. No, yeah, they were very protected. So it would have been really interesting to see where they went in ROH in 2022 if there had been an ROH in 2022. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the many shames of what happened with ROH is that someone like Max, whereas there have been other people, other obvious scoop ups um, from ROH's women's division in, going to various places. AEW is obviously one of them, but also Impact. Max is still doing a lot of great work on the independents, but it doesn't feel like any of the major promotions have like you know, been super ready to like give them the, the spotlight that they, they really, you know, have earned even in that like brief, even in their brief career. So I'm, I'm looking forward to who gets to be the smart one on this, but I, I think, I don't know. I think it might be a little bit while longer before we see Max, like make those appearances. Uh, they don't have, I believe looking over their listings, they don't have like any like dark appearances or anything for AEW. Uh, but they have done like beyond and that's always a good place to be seen by those major companies. And they did do a match for NWA power. So, you know, I think, I think uh, international work is probably going to be a big part of the coming months for Maxine Impaler and maybe coming in the coming 2023. I really love they have undefeated streak now at, at pro wrestling Eve. I think that's great. Um, and they're doing time of progress and other UK promotions while they're over there. So things are looking bright, but looking at ROH, um, one of the best aspects of Max coming into ROH was not only did ROH like focus attention on Max's debut there and give them a ton of highlight and an undefeated streak, but they very quickly paired them up with an unlikely, well, I guess I thought it was kind of unlikely, but I guess not so unlikely, but they paired them up with a ally and manager in Amy Rose. Everything Amy Rose does in ROH seems a little unlikely or odd. <laughs> I mean, this, right? was, this was coming off of Amy managing Roosh as world champion, which felt completely random and had never really made sense or gelled well. Amy and Max together, what, after one or two appearances, was like, okay, I get it. I mean, they called them Beauty and the Beast. They had Amy being more of the mouthpiece for Max while Max stands there and looks intimidating. And it worked nicely. And it felt like when ROA shut down, well, that's a shame that there's another thing that we're losing this partnership because it started to gel. But then Amy showed up with Max in Enjoy Wrestling, which I thought was a really pleasant surprise because how often do you see managers and clients travel together outside of their home promotion? Not a ton, especially when they are linked so keenly through like a, a more major promotion, right? Like if they're a manager and an independent wrestler working on an independent circuit, that's one thing. But like ROH, it felt kind of like very in-house. So it was cool to see Amy be outside of that and follow Max or bring Max to various promotions. I hope I can we continue seeing that. Um, and I, I hadn't been 
following super closely. So when Amy did make that appearance and enjoy alongside of Max, I was like surprised, like, oh, hey, Amy, Amy's here. That's crazy and great. I hadn't been convinced that that partnership would continue outside of ROH, but it, it seemingly has. And if you look up interviews for Max, you can't really find anything, but you can find Amy Rose talking about Max. So that's about as good as you can get. I mean, if you're going to have a gimmick where you, that doesn't really allow you to take interviews, um, it's good to have somebody who can serve as a mouthpiece. Yeah, they're not tied like a tape team. They're not doing every appearance together. Max is doing a lot of appearances still without Amy. But at the very least, the, that one enjoy appearance gives us hope that maybe we'll continue to see them together in some places going forward. Yeah, it would be nice anyway. So, yeah, so Max is entered in the uh, ROH Women's World Title Tournament. And one of the matches I was most excited to watch during for this tournament was the first round, uh, Maxine Hiller versus Holly Dead. Uh, I appreciate a match like this that offers us two wrestlers who um, otherwise might be kind of idiosyncratic in their fields, but if they're paired together in this match and it's great. Like, I think that they both work a very strong power-based style. Um, they both obviously have like a strong visual aesthetic, uh, you know, differing obviously, but they both look makeup heavy and uh, are brawlers known for like a r- more rough and tumble style. And so it was exciting to watch this match. And yeah, um, and Maxine Paylor defeats Holiday to go move into the second round of the tournament. Yeah, I want to say it was Caprice Coleman on commentary who called it Godzilla versus King Kong. Yes, yes, and it's very was, much that. And that was the sense at the time. Like, here are these two big monsters. On finally, we found somebody who can give as good as they get when it comes to Max. And it was just, it's, you know, it's just fun and interesting that it's a woman like Holodead because we, we ourselves have seen Max destroy guys like Lucas, Jacob, all these other men, and people who would be critics of mixed gender wrestling, which always go to the defense of, oh, it's not realistic, it's not whatever. And it's like, it's very realistic to see Max destroy all these men. <laughs> yeah, and like, I I, I got to give um, Beyond Wrestling another uh, shout out here because uh, Max had a match towards the end of 2021 and another match in 2022 for Beyond. The one in 2021 in December was against Willow Nightingale. And I got to shout out that match because it's it's a great match because, you know, we obviously we love both we both love both of these wrestlers, but it's another example of two uh, competitors who are usually like maybe they're bigger than their average opponents in their divisions. But in this case, Willow and Max are comparable size. Um, they both offer a lot of power to it, but they are playing opposite spectrum gimmicks, right? Willow is light and, sh- and sunshine and rainbows and like, you know, and smiles and Max is everything. But so, um, it's really fun match. It's a great study in both like contrasting gimmicks, but, but complementary styles. Then in 2022, they have a match against Brian Malonis for beyond. And that's another one. And we see that a bit of this in the multi-mind tag match in um, ROH's final battle 2021, where Max is in a mixed gendered tag. Um, but in beyond in 2022, uh, they have a, a singles match with Brian Malonis. And again, it's one of those things where like Brian Malonis is a big dude. But Max is also a big person, especially in 2022. It's also like a a big wrestler. So it's it's fun because there is 
uh, complimentary like size there. There's no, there's no hesitation. Both of these, both of these wrestlers don't have, not, neither of these wrestlers have a size advantage. Um, but talking about that tag match, how surprised were you when this got booked? Yes, at the time, because we were on the record. ROH is never going to do intergender wrestling. I anytime, But anytime they put a non-binary competitor strictly in one division, I get annoyed. And I'm insulted on behalf of the wrestler. Anytime Sunny Kiss is not allowed to wrestle a woman in AEW, I'm like, why Why not? Why is, <laughs> why not? Ab- why is Abaddon exclusively relegated to wrestling women? They're, why aren't they allowed to wrestle? Tell me Abaddon can't compete against Brandon Cutler or against some of these, some of these other people. That sort of thing. But it was ROH. We did not have any expectations that we would see Max get to tussle with male wrestlers. And so when they came out for that match and they got a showdown with Brian Malonis, arguably the biggest guy on the roster, it was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, this this match is, you know, a little bit chaotic and a little bit silly. And, um, you know, it doesn't really have like giant stakes to it, but it's a lot of fun to watch. And it was just, it was kind of like a nice surprise at the very end of the year with ROH's final, final battle, uh, it was fun to get this as like a little bit of a treat. It was kind of bittersweet, honestly, because like, where could this have gone? Max working both divisions. Amazing. But sadly, this is not something that we are likely to ever see come to fruition. So this year, I mean, even in the past month or two, Max is still getting some pretty high profile bookings. You know, Effie's Big Gay Brunch, Zicky Dice's Trouble in Paradise. You said they made their debut for the NWA. They left America for the first time. Wrestled, wrestled a bunch of shows in England. Eve, of course, our favorite, but also Progress. Also, I want to say another one or two promotions on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are doing, they're they're doing all the work that, that a wrestler needs to do and getting seen and, and booked in places that, um, you know, any wrestler these days working the independent circuit wants to work. You know, they're working GCW events. They're working Glory Pro. They're working Beyond. And, like, that's it's great. Like, I, I, I strongly believe that Max is one of the most, like, genuinely exciting wrestlers out there. Like, I think that what, what Max offers is something that is so needed in independent wrestling and so sought after that they will never suffer for lack of bookings. It's just a matter of, like, where is the ceiling for Max? And for other non-binary competitors, still, we're still asking that question of, like, you know, is there a limit to non-binary wrestlers where they can be booked, where they can go? Because major promotions are still hesitant to to, to book them, to, to uh, you know, sign them. So I really hope not. I think that if ROH had continued, Max would have been one of the strong major players in that division over there, possibly, you know, getting to work both divisions. But so without ROH being around actively currently, what does that mean for Max? Like, where can Max go? Who's going to be the smart, who's going to be the smart promotion and sign this person? Because they have so much to offer and they're only three years in. Yeah, the strictly gendered divisions of WWE and AEW seem like glass ceilings right there. I just mentioned Abaddon and Sunny Kiss. Yes, they're in AEW. I, what what fuser are they in? How often do you see them on Dynamite or Rampage, right? That seems that seems like uh, I don't know. That seems like I'd be very pleasantly surprised to see Max in either of those promotions. I'm not holding my breath. When we spoke to Maria a couple of weeks ago, she strongly implied that we will see Max in the Women's Wrestling Army, hopefully taking on Jody Threat 
at some point in the future. You said they made their NWA debut. Was that a one-off? Who knows? But the door's open, clearly. And, of course, one promotion that doesn't care about genders, that is very supportive of wrestlers of all gender, especially wrestlers of marginalized gender, is Impact Wrestling. I would not be surprised at all if we see Max make their Impact debut this year. Max is a almost... Uh, like it is an obvious, almost too perfect fit for impact. It's, it's, it's so obvious that like, I can't believe it already hasn't happened, you know, cause people who have come up around the same timing as Max, like someone like Masha Simovich, like they, they, you know, they have every bit the, the creds and the bat, like, you know, the, the experience now, uh, and impact has a whole world within their, their, women's and their men's roster that that would be perfect for max so Ooh, yeah. what what if honor no more gets backed into a corner and maria brings in max as a secret weapon for the group uh, okay hey maria i know i know you listen to this because uh, you know i know you listen so um you know i also people who book for impact i'm sure you're listening to this as well uh yeah this is obvious do this do do that Lots of question marks regarding the future of Max, but no no concerns on our part at all. Like you said, three and a half years they've been wrestling. They got the gimmick. They got the look. They're memorable in the ring. And the second you see them, you're like, okay, I'm yeah. on board. I'm ready to it's see just, this person just throw people around. Yeah, it's the strength of someone who came out of training really fully formed in their um, in their abilities and their aesthetics. You know, obviously there's been evolution there, but like the max that you see in like end of 2018, early 2019 is the max that you're seeing now. It's just a like evolved form. And that's great because, you know, even in three years time for other wrestlers, you might see a complete shift because they had to work out things that weren't really working. This is not the case for Max. Max was doing right away what they need to do to like make a name for themselves. And like you said, like, you know, seeing Max throw someone around the ring or like throw someone through a door or like get smashed through a door because Max's ability to sell this stuff is great. How do you sell taking an impact, taking a blow or taking a pin when you are like a post-apocalyptic wasteland monster? And yet Max makes it completely credible. I, I'm so thrilled to get to dive into Maxie Paler. I'm so glad that Alex, uh, that you uh, requested this for your birthday. I hope we did the subject justice. And uh, if there's anything obvious we missed or anything that you wanted to shout out about Max, please let us know. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Patreon at Grit Glitter Pod. If you support us on Patreon at $1, $5, or $10 a month, we take your money, we give it to other wrestling promotions, and it's a full circle kind of thing. Also, if you give us $10 a month for your birthday, just like Alex did, you can tell us what to do. That's right. Tell us what to do. Tell us to cover everything. Tell us to tell us to watch every match that Britt Baker has done for AEW and grade them, rank them, and we'll tell you no. But um, and we'll sit out that week. I'll get one of the other Glitterati to join me, and we'll do it somehow. <laughs> I like okay. I like Britt Baker. I just need to put that out there. I, I really like Britt Baker. It's just you know we you know what the problem is. Anyway, subscribe. 
I'm from Britsburg. I'm a founding member of Britsburg. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a card carrying member of Britsburg. Um, but yes, join the ranks of our, of our uh, Patreon supporters. Shall we do some shout outs for May? Yes, another May, another month is over, the month of May 2022. So we have to thank all the people who helped support us this month. Of course, Alex, E, John Washabaugh, Nancy Todd, Solo Darling, Chad Boykin, John Armstrong, Aaron Carlisle, Evan Minsker, Lars Brown, Jason Norris, and Crush Gals. Thank you for another month of your support. You help keep us going, honestly. Yeah. You give us fuel. You give us the the cold coffee at midnight to finish that title match from that six-hour pay-per-view. You give us fuel. You give us fire. You give us that which we desire. (laughs) Next week on the show, it is June. It is Pride Month. Every month here is Pride Month, honestly, with the Glitterati and with uh, (laughs) the types of wrestling we cover. We fly in those reindeers. We're playing those rainbows all year long, everybody. I'm flying those reindeer all year long. Oh, it's it's Christmas time every day for Harley R. Paget. Next week, we kick off Pride Month with the second entry in our new series, Living Legends. Next week, we're looking at the life and career of the Latina sensation, Mercedes Martinez. <laughs>